This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week. We've got a great interview coming up today with Luke Richard, who is Chief Operating Officer and Executive Director of the Quebec Transit Authority in Quebec City in Canada. He'll be on our Newsmaker Hotline today, as well as some interesting headline news from around the industry. In headline news, as you know, the federal court recently struck down the mask mandate for public transit and airlines, and so it's not being enforced anymore by the uh, Transportation Security Administration here in the United States. But one transit agency, at least, is asking passengers to mask up once again. That's BART. In San Francisco, the Transit Agency's Board of Directors voted to reinstate a masking requirement through mid-July. The decision, which impacts the system's 50 stations in five counties, makes BART the lone Bay Area transit system to mandate masks after the federal court in Florida voided a federal mask mandate that led to airlines and transit agencies across the country to make mask wearing optional. BART's new mask policy also raises the thorny issue of how it will enforce face coverings when many Bay Area residents are increasingly ditching masks in many other indoor settings, according to a report. BART police, not station managers, will enforce the mandate. They will focus on warnings and provide masks to unmasked riders, they say. But riders could be ejected from the system for not complying or face up to $75 citations. The board president said the goal is not to penalize people. The goal is to get people to wear their masks. The chair, along with 600 board members, approved the new mask rule, which amends the code of conduct to require a mask through July 18th with exemptions for children under the age of two people unable to wear masks due to medical conditions. A couple board members abstained, saying they would prefer to see masks strongly encouraged but not mandated. And uh, on Wednesday evening, the Bay Area's largest bus operator last week, AC Transit, which is in uh, the Oakland area, failed to renew the mask mandate in a split three to three vote with board members raising concerns over drivers being again tasked with enforcing the policy. The Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority has no intention of considering a new mask mandate. The board's president said an SFMTA, which runs Muni in San Francisco, is also relying on the local health agency guidelines. Public health experts, according to this article, also have raised concerns over how effective the mandate will be if riders are allowed to wear cloth masks, which are far less effective at preventing the spread of COVID-19 or contracting the disease. One Person Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco, said, if we're going to put back mask mandates, then we should supply the masks that will work well in physical science studies. We're not in 2020 anymore. We know, she said, that general mandates haven't made that big of a difference, especially with vaccination. Meanwhile, BART has upgraded its air ventilation system during the pandemic with hospital-grade filters that provide a level of COVID-19 filtration likely higher than your office, home, or restaurant. Heading now to the center of the country in Chicago, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has made a controversial free gas and public transit card giveaway proposal, and it narrowly passed the city council last week after aldermen debated whether the measure will truly help struggling residents or simply be a political quote-unquote gimmick. The plan is to hand out 50,000 gas cards worth $150 each and 100,000 Chicago Transit Authority fare cards worth $50 each. It passed the city council on a close vote of 26 to 23. And so they'll be giving away cards and to ride transit. Some aldermen expressed concern about the city subsidizing gas purchases, which they said was environmentally unfriendly and argued that the money would be better spent on affordable housing. Um, 
And a uh, couple other tidbits, they've dropped an income threshold to qualify from $140,000 down to $93,200 for a family of four. And they're hoping to ensure that three-fourths of the $7.5 million in gas cards go to people from mobility-challenged neighborhoods. The cards will be distributed via lottery if more eligible households apply than the number of cards who are available. Now we move over to Los Angeles in uh, Southern California and the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, LADOT, has launched a groundbreaking universal basic mobility pilot program in South Los Angeles, one of the largest programs of its kind in the country, increasing access to transportation options. The pilot will bring e-bikes, shared EV cars, and on-demand EV shuttles, electric vehicle shuttles, in addition to a partnership with Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority to subsidize transit fares for 2,000 pilot area residents who have historically, they say, lacked options for how to get where they need to go safely. The pilot is currently supported by nearly $18 million in city and state funding. And uh, LADOT Selena Reynolds said mobility is essential to opportunity. That's what drives LADOT's commitment to provide universal basic mobility for Angelinos. The universal basic mobility pilot covers a large swath of South Los Angeles and was chosen because of the high proportion of households below the poverty line, as well as a large share of residents who rely on transit, public transit. The pilot will deploy 250 e-bikes, expand Blue LA electric vehicle car share by an additional 100 cars within the pilot zone, provide free on-demand electric vehicle shuttle service, provide subsidized Metro and LA DOT dash fares for 2,000 pilot area residents, install 16 electric vehicle charging stations at four libraries, install 75 electric vehicle charging stations at park and recs facilities, install two direct current fast charger hubs, provide workforce training on electric charging stations and electric bikes for 30 people who live in Los Angeles, and provide a million dollars in funding to complete a rail-to-rail project and install some safe streets infrastructure. Now we head down to Texas in the center of the country, the south part of the country. Trinity Metro has announced that Richard Andreski, a public transportation veteran with 23 years of experience and more than 10 years of executive leadership, has been selected as the next president and CEO for the agency at Trinity Metro in Fort Worth, Texas. Andreski previously served as the Bureau Chief for Public Transportation for the Connecticut Department of Transportation since 2015. And he also held a series of positions at New Jersey Transit, NJT. They did a nationwide search, according to Jeff Davis, chairman of the Trinity Metro Board of Directors, and they agreed that he's the best choice for leading the agency. Andreski will start his role on June 20th and said he's looking forward to the transition, saying, I'm excited and honored to be chosen as Trinity Metro's CEO. I can't wait to join the team so that we can work together on transit solutions for the North Texas region. The position of president and CEO has been filled on an interim basis there at the agency by Paul Ballard, who resumed leadership of the agency in November of last year. Ballard previously led Trinity Metro from 2014 to 19, and he accepted the position on an eight-month basis to assist during the national search for a permanent replacement. Congratulations to Richard Andreski and the people of Fort Worth, Texas. Looks like he's a great choice to lead the agency. Congratulations to all. And finally, over in my neck of the woods near Washington, D.C., The WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority Board, announced Thursday that it will increase police patrols in trains and buses to reassure riders they are safe. Crime rates on the transit network remain above pre-pandemic levels despite declines this year. This, as you know, we covered in depth stories from around the nation 
on our recent episode two weeks ago, these deployments of police are one part of a revamped safety strategy designed by the new Metro WMATA Transit Police Chief Michael Anzello, that includes education and community outreach efforts. Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld said, while crime is a community and regional concern, customers should feel safe on Metro, and that means using every tool at our disposal, including investing in the community and partnering with local resources for essential services. In addition, the MTPD is strategically targeting enforcement areas in efforts in areas where crime has increased. Transit agencies across the country, according to the article in the Washington Post, are grappling with crime concerns as they try to obtain riders who stayed home or are using cars more often amid a pandemic-induced shift to telework. The shooting at a Brooklyn subway station last month was an unusual outburst of violence, but served to crystallize those worries, according to the article. Back in the D.C. metro area, officials say the enforcement approach will increase patrols by uniformed and plainclothes officers at some stations and in buses with the goal of providing high visibility police presence to deter crime. Shifts will be staggered to make more police available during the rush hour, according to officials. Wiedefeld briefed the metro board members on the plan during their meeting last week, but he was not asked any questions about the changes. The other prongs of the safety strategy include QR codes that riders can scan to call the transit police tip line and an anti-harassment public awareness campaign that will launch next month. Metro police also plan to hold community events and build partnerships with organizations to help people experiencing homelessness and mental health crises. So that's what's happening in around the country of the United States, mostly today in our news segment of our News and Views show. Now stay tuned for a great in-depth interview with Luke Richard, Chief Operating Officer and Executive Director of the Quebec Transit Authority in Quebec, Canada. Thanks for being with us today on this episode, the 199th episode of Transit Unplugged. Next week, will be an interview with Euless Cleckley, CEO of Miami-Dade, CEO of the transit system there, and that will be our 200th episode. Amazing, isn't it? Five years today, 199 episodes in. Hopefully, you're enjoying the show as much as we are bringing it to you. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast. And today, I'm excited to have with us on the line, Mr. Luke Richard, who is executive director and chief operating officer for the Quebec Transit Agency, known as RTC. Luke, welcome, and I'll let you pronounce the name of your agency. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's a great pleasure to be uh, with you, Paul. So it's Réseau de Transport de la Capitale, but it is the, the Quebec Transit Authority for the yes. Quebec City. So and why don't you tell us kind of where Quebec is situated in Canada, and then tell us some about your agency. Sure. So we are, for, for those of you who know Montreal, which is probably a, a little more known, Montreal is about 250 kilometers west of uh, Quebec. Quebec we uh, Quebec City is right on the St. Lawrence River. We're about like driving distance, nine hours from New York. So that would be, uh, you know, that would situate like the true north is, is Quebec City. We have a lot of snow in Quebec, but it's a beautiful city. You know, Quebec is uh, 414 years old, one of the oldest city in North America. Some of you may know the Chateau Frontenac, which is one of the landmark and probably the most photographed hotel that exists. So that can give you an idea where Quebec is and what it is all about. That's great. So tell us about your transit agency. What services did you, do you provide and, and kind of the scope of, the, of what you do there? Sure. RTC is, is the main, is the only 
Transit Authority for Quebec City and the agglomeration, which comprises of two other cities. We we exploit our buses. It's a 600 bus fleet, just about. And 70% of that bus fleet is currently hybrid buses. And we'll talk a bit later. I think we're moving to electrification later on. We, we also have a, a bike share business that we started last year as a transit agency that we, we did start that business. And we just recently started our on-demand service, which we can talk a little bit later too. Uh, in terms of the city size, if you want, it's not a very dense city. It's your typical average size city where, where there's a 211 square miles, if you want, that represents a city, which is about the same size of, as Columbus, Ohio, to give a reference to our U.S. Uh, listeners. And uh, we have about 600,000 people. So uh, it's a density of about uh, 2,800 people per square miles. So it's okay. not very dense, but uh, we still, before the pandi- pandemic, we, we were doing 33 million rides a year. So mm. it's pretty good for a, yeah. a city of that density. And what's your role there at the agency? My role here is basically with my colleagues. We, uh, we, we're responsible. I'm responsible for everything by putting out the service every day, the daily service, the planning of the service, the marketing, communication. And of course, we do that with a, a lot of great people. The operation business here is comprised of about 1,400 people. Out of that, there's a 1,000 bus drivers. And about 300 mechanics or maintenance people. And then we have the network people and everything. That's great. And tell us about some of the, the new things you have going on. You and I talked ahead of time that, you know, in addition to the electric bike share, which I'm interested to hear about how that's going. Also, you've got a new on-demand service, which I think is interesting. Yes. You want me to start with the bike share? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Electric bike share. We we studied the business two years ago, and, and we that's something we wanted to deploy in Quebec City. One thing I didn't mention, there's a lot of hills in, the, in Quebec City, so it had to be electric assistance. So so that being confirmed that where we're going electric bikes, we looked at the, the different providers that could do it for us, you know, the Uber, the Lyfts, and that they all have an electric or scooter business. And then we decided for the size and to control the environment that as the, the transit authority and in agreement with the city, that we would be the ones uh, running the business. Of course, we partnered with uh, providers for the bikes and the logistics providers. But basically, we launched last year with our first 10 stations, which is not much. 100 bikes, first year, it was 100 bikes, 10 10 stations from June to uh, October. And uh, just in that first year with those 100 bikes, we did 30,000 rides. So it was pretty good. And upcoming this year, we're going to announce, that's a bit of a scoop, but we're going to announce 30 more stations and 300 more bikes. And at the end of the day, you know, within two or three years, basically it's going to be a 100 station, 1,000 bikes that will be running. And basically in the main, the art of downtown Quebec City, which is a very old city, like I mentioned, and very popular for tourists. So, so, but we noticed in the first year of all that uh, our, our, our bike share was used pretty much by regular people, probably the same everywhere. But uh, tourists are using it a bit. Mind, mind you, last year there wasn't that many tourists, but but a lot of regular people, permanent, that take monthly passes as well. So that's pretty interesting. It it's is. good service, much appreciated by a lot of people. And the electric assistance make the, the all the difference. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, when you say the regular passengers that are using it, are 
Do you have a pass or something that allows you? Does your monthly pass allow you bike ride as well as buses? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Right now, uh, it's something we're aiming at. See, in, in terms of you hear a lot about mass and integrated mobility. Yes. That's yes. something that we have in our strategic plan. It's been there since 2018, and our plan covers uh, the 10-year uh, period. So that the end of the strategic plan is integrated mobility, and, and the, the, the strategy we use was to basically deploy all. The, the 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 elements and then we'll integrate it because if you we had a feeling if you try to integrate from the start you're just going to build a, a massive technology issue and it's going to be difficult to deploy so we said no no let's deploy the services and, and then we'll try and integrate it and you've got another new service mobility on demand tell us about that Yes, as I mentioned before, uh, Quebec City is is a city built around a, an old city, you know, and near the St. Lawrence River, and that part is quite dense. But then, as you move to the suburbs, just like many North American cities, uh, a lot of highways, and so it's it's difficult to reach to those people. We do have bus services that run in, in, in those suburban part of the city, but the density there is very is very small. And yes. uh, theref- therefore, we looked at it for the last three years. We studied it, we planned it, and then we decided to launch the on-demand. And, and for that, we partnered with uh, VIA, VIA Mobility, which you, you know. And so we partnered with VIA for the, the software, and we ran an RFP to, to get, and uh, we wanted those uh, to be like taxis and we, we did have a taxi on-demand, but which was not much use. But now with... All the marketing study we did, all the modelization we did as well. We we came up with the the solution for Quebec because on demand it's not the same solution for every city, and most fails that you uh, must have seen in your career with on demand is people trying to copy what's being done in another city because that's not your what you need. So we started with that, and and we realized that. You know, we wanted to do local movements in, in, in some parts of the city, which are in the suburbs, if you want. We realized that in a small area, 27,000 daily movements with cars inside that zone were being done every day. So there is no, we don't capture it with buses. We don't capture those with taxis. So how do you do it? And And that's why we said, okay, we're going to, deploy the on-demand in those zones. It's going to be by zone. Every zone, if you want, is about a 20 minute from one end to the other end of the zone. It's a maximum of 20 minutes. And and then we said, we're going to offer it for the price of a bus ride. Same price, same ticket, same smart card, because we do have smart cards for our buses. Same thing. We also have mobile payment same thing uh, and you can transfer from that to a bus or you can just use it to go to the arena to go to the library to go wherever you want to go to a friend so you can do basically whatever you want in within your zone and you order it within 15 minutes the the, the transport is at maximum 300 meters from your house it's a curb to curb service we were trying to ride and uh, so far you know we launched on uh, march 7th with the first three zones and in the first three weeks we already have already have 2000 rides five star rating for all the cust- all customers they gave five star rating to the service 
it, it's a pretty amazing service. It, it, it and it adds on to the buses. If you want to get out of the zone, use a bus. You know, if you want to move within the zone instead of using your car, and we see a lot of you know parents that will put their kid on that instead of uh, you know riding him to the bus stop or riding him to uh, a friend or something like that. Average uh, movements right now, average rides were about four or five kilometers. And the waiting time we've experienced since the beginning is about 8.9 minutes. And then uh, you order your ride 8.9, 8.9 minutes when you're in your house in the winter, you don't have your boots on yet. It goes by really fast. <laughs> There you go. That's great, Luke. What a, what a great time. I'll be interested to see how that continues to grow. You mentioned uh, something that made me think of a quote by a guy named Peter Rogoff, who is a leader of the industry here. And he said, if you've seen one transit system, you've seen one transit system. And uh, you mentioned that some people are trying to copy what's in other cities and every city is unique. Tell us a little bit more about Quebec City and what makes it unique from the rest of Canada when it comes to transit. You know, do you have any unique challenges or unique technologies you implemented? Yeah, it, actually, it, it is. It is not that unique, you know. But the density, like like I mentioned, for many places, the density in the suburbs and and it's a, most North American city. It's a very car oriented city. Yes. Uh, lots of highways. I think we, we probably have more highways than than any other city in the, in the province of Montreal. Has less highways than us, I'm sure. So, and the density in Montreal is different. It's it's a metropolitan. It's a, so it's a very different. But in Quebec, lots lots of tourists, and we're the only city that of that size, you know, more than 500,000 people that doesn't have a heavy system. Like we only run bus. Yeah, yeah, we only run buses right now. And we do have a project in, in the books right now. It's being developed. RFPs are out and to bring in a tramway, light yeah. rail, but really a tramway system with the... the, the Catenary uh, wires. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. The technical yeah. <laughs> terms sometimes uh, yeah. working in French for too long. So, but yeah, so we oh, do have great. a big project for that. It's a 19 kilometers. Okay. It's a $3.3 billion project, a little more actually. And this will be basically the backbone of our new system. Because right now we're running, uh, we're running uh, frequent buses on that line, the same line, if you want. And uh, the, the 60 footer and uh, those rap, those frequent bus They run every three minutes. Wow. So you can imagine if you don't have a transit way, every three minutes, it doesn't work. You know, yeah. you, you get a red light, you get an accident, you get a car that's not parked well, you get a, a moving truck or something, and, 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 and it's a very congested street. So it doesn't work anymore. You know, we, we've, we've, we're jammed into our congestion. So we have to uh, move away from that and, uh, and bring in the, the heavy uh, system which will help quite a lot. And that will make a big difference for, for the city. And then we will, the, the plan we have is to redeploy all the buses that were used on that line. We'll redeploy them basically uh, because it, it, Quebec, before the pandemic anyway, was re really much oriented. The peak hours were, were really high on demand. They were demanding a lot of uh, buses. We basically, we run about, near 500 buses right at rush hour so that's a lot of buses for our system which is like i said before a 600 bus system so we'll be able to change that a little bit and then the pandemic 
came in. So we put out the on-demand and we will, in the coming months, start the conversation again with the population to try and figure out, like many systems are trying to do, try and figure out what what exactly are people going to do, you know, with the work Yeah, their new home, travel patterns. Yeah. The new travel patterns, because everybody is trying to guess at them. My feeling is that uh, we're probably all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, but you do have, it seems like, a lot of investment in public transit coming to Quebec in the coming years. Oh, yes, yes. As I said, there's this uh, tramway project, this uh, light rail project, which is about $3.3 billion. So over the next 10 years, and, and this is a plan to, uh, to be operated starting in 2028. And on top of that, like I mentioned, the Quebec government has imposed that the buses that we purchased starting in 2025 will have to be electric. So that means, you know, it's fun to go with electric buses. It's a good thing. It's good for the environment. And we want that. But often, you know, uh, we forget that what comes with electric buses, ele it's electric garage. We need to have installations that, that can, and in Quebec City with the snow, because we get on average, you know, I don't know, I would say 10, 8 to 10 feet of snow easily every year, you know, maybe a little more even. So there's a lot of snow in Quebec. Here in some cities, when you have a storm like this, everything shuts down. Here right. we still run the buses and we still uh, go out uh, and do our business as usual. So so it's a different game. And it means that the garage, they have to, we have to put in all the buses at night. You know, they cannot oh, right. stay outside. Buses right. have to be have to sleep inside. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, in the morning it would be complicated. You know, you it can just imagine. Them, <laughs> you know, yeah. so 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 you need big garage, big installations, and so that's why there's a lot of money. So in total, I would say in the next ten years, and just for Quebec City, we're talking about five billion dollar investment from both levels of government, provincial and the Canadian government. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds like you've got a good plan to 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 invest those dollars. Last question for you, as you know, as you look to the future, short, medium, or long term, what are some of the new challenges that you're hoping to uh, accomplish for your agency and for the people you serve there? Yeah. Well, definitely, Paul. I think that's probably the same as many, many other systems you, you work with and, and you talk to. Transforming the organization, you know, with the new era, the new way, the new mobility, the integrated mobility, the electric mobility. All of this brings in a great transformation. And, and as you know, every system in North America is built on ways of doing business that date back to the 70s. And, and we've built on that. We've built on that. We've done a great job. You know, you you for us anyway, you operate diesel bus. Now we operate hybrid buses. But to move to the next level, to move to integrated mobility, to move to where the transit operator does buses, does a, a light rail, and, and then we, we, we do business with, externals to do uh, on demand to do bike share to do this is a total transformation for union leaders for employees for for the, the management team and, and and then add to that the difficulty in uh, recruiting people you know the the, the scarcity of, yes. of of people to fill the jobs just next summer i have 33 openings 
for uh, maintenance people. And we're pretty sure we have more than that, but we're pretty sure we're going to be short 33 for the next summer. So it's a small number. It makes a big difference when you have about 150 of that kind of people. So it's a big challenge to transform, I would say, uh, making transit attractive for riders, but for our employees as well, you know, for people to work uh, in transit. So yes. I think that's the big challenge we face in Quebec anyway. And I'm sure yeah. it's, it's it is. shared all around North America for sure. It, it is. That's really, I think, our number one challenge right now is recruiting and retaining operators and mechanics. And so, but it looks like you've got a great plan in place and a great agency, Luke. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Luke Richard talks here about the multiple new mobility services his organization is introducing. This is great news for anyone who cares about mobility, but the introduction of technologies that support these new services has to be handled thoughtfully. How do you help your target audiences migrate to new transit technologies? I think the most important thing here is to give people a lot of lead time, tell them a change is coming, and give them plenty of peeks into what that change looks like in addition to what it means to them. Visual representations of the new technology are critical. After all, the new tech is likely something people will have to look at themselves, usually on a smartphone. The more you can get them accustomed to the new user interface, the more likely they are to adopt it. Use your vehicles and facilities to share the news, posting flyers and posters that feature the new interface. Place this collateral where riders will repeatedly see it so the interface is familiar before they see it on their phones. Your website and social media are also critical places to share the news and how the app will look. Finally, if you can spare the time, deploy team members to transit stops and centers to give demonstrations of the app and share printed information. If you'd like to talk more about introducing new technology or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Hi, this is Mike Bismar, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Coming out of the recent Kyoto conferences and headed into another, along with the Apt Mobility this week, It's been great to see folks in person again, which I truly believe also fosters that true excitement in our industry, which is fueled by the collaboration and in-person catching up. It is evident with great panels, breakout sessions, and presentations that transit as a whole is excited to be back to talking about the future of transportation. Yes, there's some deja vu with that moniker, and the sharing of their plans for recovery, new technology, changing rider experience, and the overall growth of ridership. I have been on the road extensively myself for the last five to six weeks, and see the excitement firsthand at the agencies, the conferences, and of course our own workplaces. One thing that I'm always most impressed with is the continued resilience of our leaders in every facet. Those that strive to enhance and change transit for the better. With the incredible challenges that have been before us in the last two years, many people have continued to rise to the top. They're chomping at the bit to share their ideas, groom new talent, and take their agencies into the next chapter. We have many special people in our industry, and I'm honored to have been a part of Transit for the past 14 years, an industry that has inspired me and is full of leaders, mentors, and kindness. And that is cool. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening. Kindness is cool. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guest, Mr. Luc Richard of RTC in Quebec. Next week is our 200th episode. Paul is interviewing Mr. Ulysses Gleckley, who's the director and CEO of the Miami-Dade County Department of Transportation and Public Works. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.